Loving Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name and glory be unto you for the mercies you have shown unto every one of us. The tokens of love bestowed upon us in giving us the food and the shelter, the clothing, the water we drink, the air we breathe, the security we enjoy. We thank you especially, Lord, for the divine and spiritual blessings we get from heaven, for the intercessory ministry of our Lord, for the Holy Spirit granted to us freely, for the tireless watch care and energy put forth for our salvation by the holy angels. We are grateful. Lord, we want to join in the work and we want to bring smiles upon the faces of those in heaven and to fulfill the will of God on this earth. We cannot do it on our own, therefore we ask that this devotion shall be a means to empower us that we may fulfill the will of God. Grant to us, Lord, power through thy spirit and power through thy word which will be spoken now. Put your words in my mouth that I may speak blessings to all that we all may be blessed. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage March 14 He was like Christ. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength. Genesis chapter 49 verse 23 to 20 and 24 The life of Joseph illustrates the life of Christ. It was envy that moved the brothers of Joseph to sell him as a slave. They hoped to prevent him from becoming greater than themselves. And when he was carried to Egypt, they flattered themselves that they were to be no more troubled with his dreams, that they had removed all possibility of their fulfillment. But their own course was overruled by God to bring about the very event that they designed to hinder. So the Jewish priests and elders were jealous of Christ, fearing that he would attract the attention of the people from them. They put him to death to prevent him from becoming king, but they were thus bringing about this very result. Joseph, through his bondage in Egypt, became a savior to his father's family. Yet, this fact did not lessen the guilt of his brothers. So the crucifixion of Christ by his enemies made him the redeemer of mankind, the savior of the fallen race, and ruler over the whole world. But the crime of his murderers was just as heinous, as though God's providential hand had not controlled events for his own glory and the good of man. As Joseph was sold to the heathen by his own brothers, so Christ was sold to his bitterest enemies by one of his disciples. Joseph was falsely accused and thrust into prison because of his virtue. So Christ was despised and rejected because his righteous self-denying life was a rebuke to sin. And though guilty of no wrong, he was condemned upon the testimony of false witnesses. And Joseph's patience and meekness under injustice and oppression, his ready forgiveness and noble benevolence toward his unnatural brothers, represent the Savior's uncomplaining endurance of the malice and abuse of wicked men, and his forgiveness, not only for his murderers, but of all who have come to him confessing their sins and seeking a pardon. 
He who receives Christ by living faith has a living connection with God. He carries with him the atmosphere of heaven, which is the grace of God, a treasure that the world cannot buy. He who is in living connection with God may be in humble stations, yet his moral worth is as precious as was that of Joseph. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is He, that is Joseph, was like Christ. Our key text is taken from Genesis chapter 49, verse 23 and 24. This is the statement prophesied about Joseph from his father when he was divinely inspired before his death. Jacob on his deathbed called his children towards him and was blessing all of them one by one, but not necessarily saying nice things about them, but was giving them the prophetic nature of their future, what it was going to be like. And he spoke of all of them. And when he got to Joseph, he made this statement. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. Genesis chapter 49, verse 23 and 24. Joseph's life, as we look at it, we find so many comparisons between his life and that of Christ. Not just in the fact that he developed a character that was in the similitude, in the image and likeness of God as Adam when he was created. Not just in that respect, but in the events that happened to him. Like we read and we've always said in Hebrews 5 verse 8, talking about Jesus, it is written, Though he were a son, yet lent he obedience by the things he suffered. And we can say the same about Joseph. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. So to a very great degree, there are numerous similarities between Joseph and Christ. Just as Christ was hated for righteousness' sake, so also Joseph's brothers hated him for righteousness' sake. Just as Christ was plotted against to be killed and was actually killed, so also Joseph was plotted against by his brother, by his brothers. And what was the reason for plotting against Christ, thinking that he will have more influence than them? The Pharisees thought that way. So also Joseph's brothers thought that they needed to take Joseph out of the way because he was going to get more influence on the father, Jacob, than themselves. And they thought they had gotten rid of him by selling him. So also did the Pharisees and the priests think that they got rid of Christ by killing him. But another similarity, they did not know that that very act they did made Jesus the Redeemer of the world by crucifying him on the cross. So also the brothers of Joseph did not have the idea that by selling Joseph, a chain of events would lead Joseph to become the savior of the world with respect to the matter of food and providing for the whole world. You see, these brothers of Joseph were the church, you know. Jacob and his family were the church of God at the time. Seventy people they were, excluding Joseph. There were seventy people that came from Canaan. That was God's church. And among this church, the leaders of the church, ten of them plotted against one other member of the church, Joseph. So also the church plotted against Jesus, another member of the church. And 
they thought they got rid of him because in the church joseph was having more influence just as jesus was having more influence than the pharisees and priests in the church and the people were flocking after jesus joseph was sold for silver 20 pieces while jesus was 30 but yet it was still the same silver silver that is we will say for gain they made a gain out of selling joseph and so they made gain out of selling jesus and also we see jesus betrayed by a close companion of the church which was the leaders which is judas and also joseph was also betrayed by the members of the church will do more than more than the numbers that jesus had one person betrayed jesus and they thought they had gotten rid of joseph and jesus you see the similarities in their life what do we think about this as we compare joseph to jesus don't you see that it's a high privilege that he was given this opportunity to be a type of jesus wouldn't you like to be a type of jesus wouldn't you like to be, for it to be said of you that the same experience Jesus had, you are also having. You are walking where he walked. People travel today for pilgrimages in Jerusalem and they go to look at tombs and say, oh, this was where Jesus uh, lay. And then they say, oh, this was where he stood when he gave the sermon on the mount and people will walk there and then they will stand on that same place feeling like they are walking where Jesus walked. And then they take them to Bethlehem and show them the manger and say, oh, this was where Jesus lay. Some of them want to lie down there and feel, oh, let me feel like let me experience what Jesus experienced. And then they go to Nazareth and then they show them another place. Oh, this is Nazareth where he lived. Oh, let me experience what Jesus experienced. Oh no, you are making a huge, huge mistake. There is no need for us to go to any pilgrimage in Jerusalem. The experiences Jesus had is not about the location or the place he stood or where he walked or where his tomb was or where the temple was where he stood to preach. Those are not the experiences of Jesus. The high privilege of experiencing the same thing Jesus experienced is not by taking pilgrimages to Jerusalem. It is by living the same life he lived. And I tell you, the same experiences he had is not only Joseph who will have it, you will also have it. And you would have to consider that a great honor and privilege. You see, Peter saw it as too honorable for him when he was to be crucified like Jesus. He saw himself so unworthy that he requested to be crucified upside down. Every Christian at one time or the other will experience it. For Jesus said in Matthew 10 reading from verse 24, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. For if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? End of quote. Jesus is here saying it's not only Joseph who will walk where he walked, who will have a similarity between his life and that of Christ. He is saying we as disciples, we will experience the same thing our master Jesus experienced. It is not only Joseph who is like Christ. We also are supposed to be types of Christ. Various experiences will, will pass through and we are supposed to rejoice at it. That we are walking where Christ walked, experiencing what he experienced. But this honor can only come to us if we are living a life like that of Christ. Joseph lived a blameless life and got the treatment he got. The beginning of this privilege of walking where Jesus walked is to live a holy life. 
Not until then can we have a similar experience with Jesus and walk where he walked. There are times when we also see striking similarities between our lives and that of Christ, to a lesser or greater degree than that of Joseph, but yet a similarity nonetheless. The great burden of our lives should be to do as Christ would have done were he to be in our position. When we, through the keeping of the commandments of God and doing right, experience the sufferings that Christ experienced and are called Beelzebub like Jesus said we will be called and also be persecuted as he was persecuted, our great burden will be to respond to it the way Jesus also responded. I once had an experience which I often reflect on it's sometimes to my own joy and other times to my own shame. To my joy, because to me, I count it indeed a joy to be persecuted for righteousness sake. And also to my shame because as I reflect back, I realize that I didn't in all cases act as Christ would have done were he to be in my position. For righteousness sake, I have had times when I've been persecuted, dealt with, in a cruel manner and I look back at it and I feel that oh it was a privilege in fact someone brought it to my notice and said oh just as you served these people for three and a half years that was how Jesus also served three and a half years and exactly three and a half years you were also cut off and in the midst of the rain thrown out of a place it's the same experience and it's it's comforting actually to realize that what you experience Jesus also experienced it and he comforts you to give you that privilege of seeing the similarity between your life and his own life and tells you you are in good company what is happening to you also happened to me and then he puts a smile on the face knowing very well that what you experience is the same thing Jesus experienced you're in good company but like I said I look back at it and I wonder I did I do everything right and I know I didn't for example, Jesus, when he was being persecuted, said, Forgive them for they not, know not what they do. He said it instantly. doesn't mean I didn't say that, but at the time when you are receiving the persecution, and for me, it was not something I could say immediately. I had to learn it. doesn't mean I cursed anyone, but I had to learn it. Jesus, when he took his own persecution, was more concerned about the salvation of the people. And these are things we should consider. If we are walking where Christ walked, if you're experiencing the same thing Christ experienced, it's important that we study the life of Christ so that we know how to respond to the various things that we are also experiencing that is similar to that of Christ. And I expect that since I didn't get it right in all points, I will be tested again. And I hope to get it right next time. You also as dear children of God should expect that the tests you have failed before will be graciously brought to you again so that you can perfect character. And when we look at the life of Jesus and Joseph, we see another similarity in the fact that Jesus forgave and on the cross said, forgive them for they knew not what they do. And so did Joseph. As we read Genesis 45, reading from verse 4, downward it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years had the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he had made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt bear, shall be near unto me. Thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold your eyes, see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. And you shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. In this matter, Joseph had passed his test. What could have been the conversation between Joseph and his brothers? Oh, what would Simeon say to him? I'm sorry. And all the other brothers would still say the same thing. Forgive me, I'm sorry. Just as Jacob said to Esau, these brothers are also doing the same thing now. There will be lots of apologies and lots of tears. No matter how hard Simeon was, at this time he will be softened to know and gracious to know that the Lord did not allow blood to be on his hands, the blood of his own younger brother. And he will be relieved knowing that his brother is safe. And will all of them, all of them will give glory to God saying, Lord, thank you for preserving Joseph. And will also be grateful to Joseph for being so nice to them and not holding a grudge against them. The journey home. How would that journey have been? Uh, the journey between the brothers Reuben, Judah, Levi, Benjamin, Naphtali, Dan, and all of them discussing this matter how the Lord has helped them. And then there's something else to do. And this is a lesson that we need to learn. Brothers, sisters in the home, there are some secrets your parents don't know about and kept quiet about over the years. And it's even causing a family feud because of a lie someone told a long time ago. Perhaps like the brothers of Joseph, you may need to tell your parents the truth. How are they going to tell their father that Joseph is uh, uh, the second in command in Egypt without telling him about the evil that they did? They must tell him. But before that, they contemplate the forgiveness. Joseph passed his test. Matthew 5, reading from verse 38 says, You have heard that it had been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Oh, Joseph was more than smitten on the right cheek. And in his action towards his brothers and welcoming them into his bosom again he was, it's the same thing as giving them the opportunity to turn to smite the other chick Jesus does not say you must smite but turn the other chick turning the other chick means you don't get so protective and so, so distrustful that you put yourself in a position where they can never smite the other chick Joseph is giving the brothers again the opportunity to smite the other chick He's doing just what the Lord would have done. Verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. 
Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that will borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that he has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in which is in heaven is perfect. This is the standard. We are to forgive our enemies, and God will test most of us on this point of forgiveness. Conflict and Courage, page 79, paragraph 4 says, As Joseph was sold to the heathen by his own brothers, so Christ was sold to his bitterest enemies by one of his disciples. Joseph was falsely accused and thrust into prison because of his virtue. So Christ was despised and rejected because of his righteous self-denying life was a rebuke to sin. And though guilty of no wrong, he was condemned upon the testimony of false witnesses. And Joseph's patience and meekness under injustice and oppression, his ready forgiveness and noble benevolence towards his unnatural brothers, represents the Savior's uncomplaining endurance of the malice and abuse of wicked men, and his forgiveness not only of his murderers, but of all who have come to him confessing their sins and seeking a pardon. End of quote. This I read because I want us to understand that we also, because of our virtue, that's the only way we can even be in Christ's shoes, because of virtue. Because every event that happened to Christ was because of his virtue. And that was why all these things happened to him. And same with Joseph. You can't say, now, it's difficult for us to say, oh, similarity between Judah's life or Jacob's life and that of Jesus. Why? Because in Jacob's life there was some inconsistency. But in that of J Joseph, because there was no inconsistency, he was faithful from childhood. And that's why we could see lots of similarities between his life and that of Christ. So also with us, if we want to walk where Christ walked, the statement Jesus made that if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you, is only for those who live the life of Christ that it's only them that will get that privilege of having the experience to know that what I am experiencing, I'm in good company, Jesus is with me, he also experienced the same thing. And we must learn that lesson to walk where Christ walked by being like Christ. The latter part of the life of these patriarchs is also worthy of note. Like I was saying, these brothers they must go home now and explain to Jacob how Joseph is still alive. They don't need Joseph to explain to him what happened. They have to tell J Jacob, we saw Joseph, he's the prime minister of Egypt, but they won't have to leave it at that. They have to explain why they are aware that Joseph is alive. In Genesis 45, reading from verse 20, 21 downward, they did explain to um Jacob and they told him in verse 26 he says and they told him saying Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt and Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. Patriarchs and Prophet page 232 paragraph 1 says another act of humiliation remained for the ten brothers. They now confessed to their father 
the deceit and cruelty that for so many years had embittered his life and theirs. Jacob had not suspected them of so base a sin, but he saw that all had been overruled for God and he forgave and blessed his erring children. Genesis 45 verse 27 And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Amen. It is enough. What is enough? Even though you told me the story of your cruelty which he never suspected that his children did, he said it is enough. As far as he's alive, no problem. Wow. And I try to imagine Benjamin will be the one of the most surprised persons in this encounter. Benjamin also has believed all this while that Joseph was killed by an evil beast. And here he is, at least before he came back home, realizing my brother is alive. Not only is he alive, he's just realizing that these brothers have been living with 10 of them. They actually plan to kill him. All this while they kept this secret and Benjamin did not know anything about it. But then seeing Judah stand for him would have comforted him too, knowing that they actually loved him and they had repented of this sin. This family was filled with drama from the beginning of the family to the end. This is a dramatic family. And anybody who studies this, you don't need to watch no soap opera. You don't need to watch any movie. Here you have it. You want to entertain yourself? You want to, you want to get lessons? Do you want to keep yourself glued? Oh, you can read the story of Jacob's life and his family's life. And not just that. The whole of the Bible is enough to keep us studying and enliven the mind and make the mind to be charmed. It's not boring, except you don't give yourself the task of thinking about everything that surrounds this story then you may see it just as a surface thing and it's not interesting to you but here is the interesting part many of us we also have this kind of secrets in our families brothers and sisters you kept secrets from your parents perhaps you should consider carefully whether it may be necessary because and to tell them maybe because there is some lasting problem going on in the home because they thought this person is the person that did this thing but it's not actually that person and the moment your parents know the truth about that matter maybe they might change their views about some things that are uh, not right they don't have the right view about about it and maybe maybe something maybe causing a problem in the home so another lesson we can learn from this is how joseph regarded egypt he didn't regard it as many people regard the united states of america of today there was something that happened when the brothers were coming to Egypt. He told them clearly, Tell Pharaoh that you people are nomads. I don't want you to work in the government offices of Egypt. Because that was what Pharaoh wanted to do. Pharaoh wanted to place them in high positions. And it was like connection. Oh, my brother is the second in command in Egypt. Therefore, you are connected. And you can get the positions that will give you affluence. But not so with Jacob and not so with Joseph. Joseph advised them not to do that because of the corruption that they will be exposed to. And he told them, if Pharaoh asks you, tell him you are cattle rearers, you are nomads because the Egyptians do not allow nomads to stay around them. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 233, paragraph 2. Joseph took five of his brothers to present to Pharaoh and receive from him the grant of land for their future home. Gratitude to his prime minister would have led the monarch to honor them with appointments to offices of state. But Joseph 
true to the worship of Jehovah, sought to save his brothers from the temptations to which they would be exposed at the hidden court. Therefore, he counseled them when questioned by the king to tell him frankly their occupation. The sons of Jacob followed this counsel, being careful also to state that they had come to sojourn in the land not to become permanent dwellers there, thus reserving the right to depart if they chose. The king assigned them a home as offered in the best of the land, the country of Goshen. And of quote. And here we see a lesson for us to never see ourselves as residents but as pilgrims. And also to be careful what appointments we take. Joseph's brothers didn't take any appointment that Pharaoh would have given them. In fact, they took advantage of their occupation to excuse themselves from stately appointments. Why? Because they prized a pure moral atmosphere. They didn't say like Lot, I will handle the the impure atmosphere, the immoral atmosphere. Just give me the position so that I can make a lot of money. They were content to remain in Goshen and as far as they could find their food to eat and shelter and clothing, they didn't need any more so that they would go to work in the stately offices of Egypt. They didn't need that and they, 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 let, they let it go. Can you do that? And, or even after that, they still made it clear that they were pilgrims. We are not staying here forever. We will still leave. This is the attitude we should have and we should consider it. You know, what's most important for me in this story of um, the patriarchs, these men who we call the patriarchs, is the fact that we see all kinds of people among them and how they, they all changed and became better people. And in the statement of Jacob before he died, we see his prophetic declaration under the spirit of inspiration, the inspiration of God, the things he said concerning these men. Lessons to learn. Our actions determine our destiny. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Reuben, Naphtali, da, Gan, Dan, Gad and Dan, and Nile, Joseph, Benjamin, all of them, every act of life they had taken was going to determine what their future would be. And before Jacob died, he called all his children before him. And then, under the inspiration of God, said to them what was going to happen. Reading from, just to summarize it, reading from the same book, Patriarchs and Prophets, from page 235. It says, Now, as the children waited to receive his last blessing, the spirit of inspiration rested upon him. And before him in prophetic vision, the future of his descendants was unfolded. One after another, the names of his sons were mentioned. The character of each was described, and the future history of their tribes was briefly foretold. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Thus the father pictured what should have been the position of Reuben as the firstborn son. But his grievous sin at Ada had made him unworthy of the birthright blessing. Jacob continued concerning Reuben, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. And it is not just Reuben, but if you look at your own life, it's a general thing. If you are our Reuben was unstable as water, not able to stand your ground and make a decision. And that was how Reuben's life was. He was not in control of his brothers. And also he himself, did la- he lacked self-control. 
and because he lacked, lacked self-control, Jacob said to him, You will not excel. And the same for us. If we lack self-control, we will not excel. Continuing, he said, The priesthood was appointed to Levi, the kingdom and the Messianic promise to Judah, and the double portion of the inheritance to Joseph. The tribe of Reuben never rose to any eminence in Israel. It was not so numerous as Judah, Joseph, or Dan, and was among the first that were carried into captivity. Next in age to Reuben were Simeon and Levi. They had been united in their cruelty towards the Shechemites, and they had also been the most guilty in the selling of Joseph. Concerning them, it was declared, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And the num- at the numbering of Israel, just before their entrance to Canaan, Simeon was the smallest tribe. Moses in his last blessing made no reference to Simeon. In the settlement of Canaan, this tribe had only a small portion of Judah's lot, and such families as afterward became powerful, formed different colonies and settled in territory outside the borders of the Holy Land. Levi also received no inheritance except for 48 cities scattered in different parts of the land. In the case of this tribe, however, their fidelity to Jehovah when the other tribes apostatized secured their appointment to the sacred service of the sanctuary, and thus the curse was changed into a blessing. The crowning blessings of the birthright were transferred to Judah. The significance of the name which denotes praise is unfolded in the prophetic history of this tribe. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. End of quote. The lion, king of the, of the forest, is a fitting symbol of this tribe, from which came David and the son of David, Shiloh, the true lion of the tribe of Judah, to whom all power shall finally bow and all nations render homage. Just to add something to this, you see, Judah showed himself to be a leader indeed. Reuben was too weak, Simeon too violent, and Levi easily influenced to do evil and seemed to have no will of his own except what his elder brother Simeon said. Judah wasn't so. He gave evidence of a heart that was, in, that was not influenced by his elder brothers, but more by the Holy Spirit. He could stand as a leader where his three elder brothers could not. God in his mercy gave him the most glorious and coveted birthright to be the one through whom the Savior Jesus Christ will come. And today his name is still mentioned when we call Jesus and we call him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. How was it that Judah has immortalized his name in our lips today? How is it that Simeon, nobody talks about him? Their choices, their choices under adverse circumstances, with the various experiences they had, the choices they made, their fidelity to God, their, the humility of Judah is what secured for him this eternal reward that till now his name will still be mentioned and Simeon also his choice is what made it to be that he's not as honorable 
as his brother Judah. Continuing the reading, it says, For most of his children, Jacob foretold a prosperous future. Future. At last, the name of Joseph was reached, and the father's heart overflowed as he invoked blessings upon the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Joseph is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie under, blessings of the breast and the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors, unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills they shall be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren." End of quote. And I know some would wonder, why is the birthright not given to Joseph? Well, why? We would also, I would also wonder, because he had a very good life, righteous life, but the Lord separated him from his brethren. You wonder why you don't hear the tribe of Joseph? It's because the Lord separated him as someone separate from his brethren. He's not counted among the twelve. Rather, his son Ephraim was used to replace himself, while Joseph himself, God separated him as a different person with a double blessing. But Judah was given the birthright and the privilege of being the one through whom the Messiah will come. And that's God's own ruling, that that's what it should be. And there might be different things we say as to why that will happen. But wait now. The most important lesson that you get from the life of Jacob and his children is this. These men, Simeon, Levi, Reuben, Judah, Gad, Naphtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, Joseph, Benjamin, Issachar, Zebulon, all of them, they are the people that we call patriarchs. The patriarchs? We usually use the word patriarchs for these men. Jacob, a cheat and a deceiver, and his children no less so. We see all kinds of characters among these patriarchs. Reuben, a man weak in self-control and a terrible leader who saw no other person to lie with than his father's own concubine and his mother's handmaid was a patriarch. Simeon, who was a violent man, a terrorist, a deceiver, a killer, not just of anyone but would go as far as killing his own brother filled with envy and jealousy of the worst kind. Levi, easily influenced to follow evil and a partner in crime to Simeon. Judah, you could say, a whoremonger, an adulterer of a strange kind, who unknowingly slept with his own daughter-in-law, thinking her to be a harlot and had children who are both his sons and his grandson. And he was uh, like a hypocrite. He wanted to kill his daughter-in-law on account of her pregnancy outside wedlock, while he himself was an adulterer and the one who even impregnated her unknowingly. These are the complicated folks who we call patriarchs. Behold your patriarchs, my people. They were not perfect people, but the Lord worked on them, and they earnestly sought a change of heart, till out of them was found pure gold of a righteous character. Like these men, we may have been involved in uncanny, gruesome, shameful and loathsome crimes. 
that we may never want to see the light of day. We don't want these crimes to, don't even want anybody to hear about it. The Lord would have us know that there is no case too hard for him to solve. He can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. He can heal and cleanse from the dirtiest of sins. Envy and jealousy are cruel indeed. And the Lord killed Simeon of this. Adultery is a shameful act, an addiction that shows itself in various ways. And the Lord killed Reuben and Judah of this. It's undignifying not to have your own position, your lacking self-esteem uh, and also being easily influenced. And so was Levi, and not just Levi, even the rest of the brothers, just what we call today follow, follow. Whatever Simeon and, uh, Simeon, Simeon and Levi says, the rest of the brothers will just do. They didn't have a mind of their own, easily influenced. And so many are like that in the churches today. Whatever the leaders say, they can't think for themselves. Dan, God, Manaftali, all of them, Issachar, whatever Simeon and Levi says, we will do. They are not thinking for themselves. These are flaws in the life of people. They were not independent. Levi became independent. And he became independent of the evil influence of Simeon. And even Simeon himself changed. And this is an encouragement to us. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 233, paragraph 4. Concerning Jacob, he said, These years, that is, the years he spent in Egypt, were in happy contrast to those he had, that had preceded them. He spent about 17 years in Egypt. He saw in his sons evidence of true repentance. He saw his family surrounded by all conditions needful for the development of a great nation and his faith grasped the sure promise of their future establishment in Canaan. He himself was surrounded with every token of love and favor that the Prime Minister of Egypt could bestow, and happy in the society of his long-lost son, he passed down gently and peacefully to his grave." Hmm. End of quote. Jacob saw in his sons evidence of true repentance. We can overcome. There is hope for us. As far as there is hope for that killer, Simeon, there is hope for you and the adulterer, Reuben and Judah, terrible kinds of stuff they did. Who They didn't see who to sleep with than their father's own uh, concubine and their own daughter-in-law. Shameful crimes these people committed, but yet they are the ones who are our patriarchs. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that in the New Jerusalem, that the names of these patriarchs are written on the 12 foundations of the earth. They are the ones that are there. They are honored today, those sinful before, those struggled before. The Lord brought out of them pure gold. We have hope we can overcome. And we may wonder, why does the Bible tell us so plainly concerning the faults of these men. We have an answer supplied for us and it cannot be better said than how it is written here in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 238. It says, Inspiration faithfully records the faults of good men, those who were distinguished by the favor of God. Indeed, their faults are more fully presented than their virtues. This has been a subject of wonder to many and has given the infidel occasion to scoff at the Bible. But it is one of the strongest evidences of the truth of Scripture, that facts are not glossed over, nor the sins of its chief characters suppressed. The minds of men are so subject to prejudice 
that it is not possible for human histories to be absolutely impartial. Had the Bible been written by uninspired persons, it would no doubt have presented the character of its honored men in a more flattering light. But as it is, we have a correct record of their experiences. Men whom God favored and to whom he entrusted great responsibilities were sometimes overcome by temptation and committed sin. Even as we at the present day strive, waver, and frequently fall into error, their lives with all their faults and follies are open before us, both for our encouragement and warning. If they had been represented as without fault, we, with our sinful nature, might despair at our own mistakes and failures, but seeing where others struggled, through discouragements like our own, where they fell under temptations as, as we have done, and yet took heart again and conquered through the grace of God, we are encouraged in our striving after righteousness. As they, though sometimes beaten back, recovered their ground and were blessed of God, so we too may be overcomers in the strength of Jesus. On the other hand, the record of their lives may serve as a warning to us. It shows that God will by no means clear the guilty. He sees sin in his most favored ones, and he, he deals with it in them even more strictly than in those who have less light and responsibility. End of quote. Romans 15 verse 4 For whatsoever things were written aforetime, like this story, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. I hope you are encouraged, and I hope that you have hope has revived in you. Perhaps you've looked down on yourself and have felt, I'm too bad. I can't overcome. Look at how terrible I am. Look at Simeon. Look at Levi. Look at Reuben. Look at Judah. Look at Jacob. The Lord transformed them. There's hope for you and he can transform you. Have you, have you failed in your family government? You are a parent and now you look back at your family and you feel like, oh, I made a mistake. Don't worry. Jacob also made a mistake. And the Lord worked it out for him as he labored to transform himself and also his family. The Lord worked it out. Keep praying for your children. Pray for your wife. Pray for your husband. Are you a child? Maybe you don't have a family but you struggle. Whatever sin it is, I hope you are encouraged. These men who we honor as patriarchs, they were not perfect people. But the Lord made out of them that perfection. After a while, they started off wrong, but they ended aright. You can also end aright. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, thank you for the encouragement we receive as we study your word. As we walk in the way Christ walked, we pray that the experiences that we pass through will be seen as privileges and not things that we should be sad over. Firstly, Lord, I pray transform our lives. Whatever sin it is we struggle with, give us the grace, Lord, to overcome them, to walk in the way of righteousness and truth. And as we walk, we pray that as we pass through these things, we shall be given the honor and privilege that what happens to our master will also happen to us. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <music>